You are listening to It's Time with Margie Florent. Join Margie as she inspires, teaches, and encourages you to develop your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer. Where do we go next? We ask the Father in Jesus' name. There's several things we could say. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you, correct? And this is the confidence that we have in him that we want. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petition, right? We have to ask. You know the scriptures in Psalms 2.8. Ask for the heathen. Ask for their salvation. Bring that petition before the Father. Now, here's a good one. Uh, Matthew 9.38. We need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors across our children's path. Because you and I, you know, sometimes our sons and our daughters, they're not going to listen to us. Hate to break the news. So a really good prayer would be, Father, I ask that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers across my sons and my daughters or your cousins or whoever it is that we're speaking about today. Number two, Decree and declare the word of God over them. The Bible says in Job, you will decree a thing and it shall be established. When a person is not innocent, Job 22 says, the Bible says they will be delivered because of the pureness of your hands. Next, use your authority and demand the devil to take his hands off of them and stop influencing their lives. Demand of the devil. John 16, John 14, 12 through 13. We're not going to get into all of it because, as usual, I overprepare. The Bible says in that scripture, whatsoever you ask, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you know that that word ask should have been translated demand? Take your hands off of my children. I demand it. I command you, devil, in the name of Jesus, to take your hands off of God's property. You demand of the devil. But I don't see anything changing. As a matter of fact, they're getting worse before they get better. That's a good sign. You know what that means? That means your prayers are working. Because you're stirring the devil up. You're stirring things up. You're stirring up the pot. And the devil's going, I gotta leave? I have to stop influencing? What? But you gotta keep praying. That's the difference between intercession and all the other kinds of prayer. Intercession continues and watches and continues till that thing is broken off of their lives. Lastly, travail in birth for them. I've been preaching on this more in our KIU events. It's a lost art. But it's very real. Travailing in prayer is very real. Galatians 4.19 said, My little children, in whom I travail in birth again, Again for you. For what? In this instance, till Christ be formed in you. 
You can come up, Kathy. There's praying in English, decreeing and declaring the word of God, praying in the Holy Ghost. But there comes a time when it's the time for that which you have been praying for on the behalf of your children. There comes a time when it's time for the birth. Listen to me. You don't hear this preached, but we are going to preach it. There comes a time where you're something on the inside of you. Say it, something on the inside. It's just stirring, and it's a burden, and it's, it's ah. Oh. And it's in the Mahaye, oh. And it just, it, it's like something that you carry. Yes. And then as you yield to the Holy Spirit in this place of prayer, Romans 8, 26 through 28, if as the Spirit wills, you will find yourself praying out groanings and yearnings too deep for words. And in that place of prayer and travail, there is a tremendous amount of love. It's just, it's the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. You have such a love. And that love is in the mix of that prayer and in the mix of that travail. And as you yield, sometimes, not always, there's tears. Well, how do you know when it's born? You know, spiritual things are very real. Right. Someone said to me, well, how long do you have to pray for something before something happens? I don't know. Right. Sometimes it's for a week. Sometimes it's a couple of months. Sometimes you'll carry that thing, that baby, that whatever it is that God's talking to you about. You will carry that sometimes for years. Yes. That's why you can't grow weary in well-doing. You got to stay in faith. But when that which is conceived in you is born, whew, that was good, there'll be a joy, there'll be a release, there'll be a laughter, yes. something broke, something happened, you got it. Amen. Some things are better caught than taught. Yep. Amen. Wasn't that good? Aren't you just so grateful? Let's give, just give the Lord a... a uh, just a praise offering for the gift in, in Margie. Um, I just love that um, she's uh, dedicated to teaching the body of Christ how to pray. Um, we are, the church is a little stuck right now on one type of prayer, um, which is, you know, a powerful prayer, which is the prayer of faith. And uh, I was actually privileged... Um, uh, two weeks ago to be uh, at the speaker at a retreat, uh, Andrea's uh, retreat up in Long Valley, and I actually preached um, and taught and preached on, the, on travailing prayer. There are too many things uh, that we need to give birth to that just walking around confessing are not going to do. And I know that that does not sound popular. Aren't you glad I started off with something that's already got you thinking, oh no, what am I going to hear? But it's true. There's just not. There are different. There are different types of prayer, and Margie does a wonderful job uh, teaching and preaching on those different types. Because every type of prayer is you right is applicable to whatever situation you're you're going through. And there are things in this area around uh, praying for the generation, praying for the next generation is so critical. 
Um, and this is one of the ways uh, that, God, that God will move on you is through travailing prayer. Um, let me just open my Bible here. Um, I have, I don't want to take too much time because I know we want to get down to business and uh, we want to pray. But uh, Margie, I was uh, just very honored uh, to be asked to participate this morning uh, and to be able to minister with Margie once again. Um, and I should say once again, because I think it's been 30 years since we ministered together the last time. I'm sure we've been in things together, but actually ministering together. And it's wonderful to see some um, Notice I'm not going to say old faces. I'm, I'm saying faces I haven't seen for a while. Um, that is just uh, wonderful, wonderful to, to see. But I want to, um, to just uh, give you, you know, when, when we come together in these type of meetings, um, and, and Margie's felt a real, um, just something different on this meeting, and so uh, I always come, and we always need to come when we gather together, especially when we come to pray, uh, that we come with our supply of the Spirit, that all of us have our supply. And um, so I'm not going to teach long, but I want to just release a word to you that the Holy Spirit uh, gave me this week on a portion of Scripture that I've read uh, very often, but there's something in it that I just had not seen emphasized uh, prior by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I want to just release that to you. Are you ready for some more word? Can you take it? I know some of you like to go to buffets, and you can go up to those buffets, <laughs> make more than one trip, right? So you're just today, the Lord's given you a, given you a buffet, all right? <laughs> so um, I'm going to, we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 24 and 25. In Matthew 24, uh, Jesus is asked by his disciples uh, this uh, very important question that what what will be the signs of the end of the age? What will be the signs of your coming? And in uh, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus answers their questions very specifically. And then when he goes into Matthew 25, as he transitions or how we record what Jesus said, which is recorded in Matthew 25, we transition into what I, what I call and Bible scholars call the eschatological parables about the second coming. Okay, you all got me there? All right. And what Jesus does uh, what we're going to talk about here briefly, I write about it extensively in my, more extensively in my book, The Radical Rising Remnant, but I, there's a piece here that I just feel is so pertinent uh, this morning by the Spirit that the Lord wants to release, and I believe he, you know, the Bible says that when he, we preach the word, that the Holy Spirit comes to confirm what we preach, and so I believe there's going to be a manifestation of what we're releasing, what we're releasing here this morning. Uh, and the, the parable that uh, begins in, in Matthew 25 is the parable of the virgins, the parable of the ten virgins. What Jesus does here is he employs a technique in speaking called uh, intentional ambiguity. In other words, he intentionally he intentionally talks about two things at the same time. So they, my, my, my young brother over there, knowing how Jesus is, he just when you think you've got him down pat, he throws something in the mix to make you think a little bit. 
because they had said to him, you know, Jesus said, you see this temple? One stone is going to be, you know, it's going to fall apart and one stone will be on top of another, etc. And they say to him, what will be the sign of your coming? And so all through Matthew 24, he describes what that will be like. But what Jesus is really talking about is two things in that chapter. He's talking about the destruction of the physical temple there in Rome. But then also he says, but then... But then there will be as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The Son of Man will appear in the clouds. He will come on the clouds. So he's talking about two things in the same chapter, in the, you know, in this same chapter. And I think what happens is... Um, and there is a lot of controversy in the church right now about whether or not chapter 24 is just about describing when the temple was destroyed or is it totally describing what conditions will be like before Jesus comes. But I believe Jesus intentionally was ambiguous about this because he wanted the two things to be communicated. But they are two separate events. The destruction of the temple was important, but then we know that Jesus is coming again. And that's what I want to talk to you about briefly this morning, is about the condition of the church before Jesus comes. And what our part is to play. And we need to prepare the generations to come for that coming. When was the last time you heard anyone in the church talk about the second coming of Christ? Too long, thank you, whoever like, oh, yay, someone liked what I said. <laughs> All right, it's the second coming, but there's something so powerful that we get to participate in, that we get to partake in, right? So here in uh, chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, at that time, when? At the time before the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. We are in those last days. Really, Hebraically, when we say the last days, the last days, Hebraically, are from the days that, the, that, that uh, from the book of Acts all the way till now has been the last days. The last days have been 2,000 years long. Amen? That's another teaching, so to explain that to you, but for now, just for speed's sake, just trust me. Okay. This concludes my teaching for today. For more information or resources, visit our website at margieflorent.org. You are listening to It's Time with Margie Florence. Join Margie as she inspires, teaches, and encourages you to develop your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all say they all. Now, this is important. Those with the oil and those without. 
they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Honey, there's a time where you can be greedy and selfish, and apparently it's right here when someone else wants your oil. You back off, Jack, get your own. Get your own crude. I got mine. Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there, are not, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. I will spare you from preaching on that verse this morning. And therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So quickly, some important things that I, I want to, uh, to highlight here for purposes of what we're doing here. Number one, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. That should be enough of a proof of a statement that his second coming was not the temple coming down. Okay? Good. All right, thank you. <laughs> I need all the help I can get. I, had a, <laughs> I have one of my, um, my, my spiritual mentor friends or whatever is a Dr. Sandy Freed, and she's from Texas, and, and she used to tell my church staff when I pastored, she used to say to them, now you all got to know, this girl needs to be encouraged all the time. She exercises so much faith, you got to tell her she's going to make it every day. And it's right, you know, when, when, you're, when you're, you're releasing faith for things all the time, I am like faith-filled, moving, grooving, believing. And sometimes, honey, you, you're just tank. It's like, you're like, oh, I got nothing left. So, so thank you, Brother Mike. You're, you're stoking my uh, fire there. All right. Um, so there was a lot, uh, and we know we've been waiting for 2,000 years. Another, such a cool thing about this parable in God's eyes, we are all, the whole church, no matter where we are in our growth, no matter what we're doing or not doing, Debbie, we are all the virgins. We are all righteous. Jesus calls them all, uh, all the righteous. He calls them all virgins. Now, this is so important because in Hebrew culture, angel, in Hebrew culture, there was this idea that, that, the, um, that, that the, the virgin bride or the bride-to-be would have a preparation time preparing herself for her wedding day, right? There would be a time of preparation. And the thinking was, the reason they were called virgins was that it was thought that you were a virgin, that you, you were a spouse. You know how like when we, when we uh, Margie, when we know someone that's getting married or we have a, a gift or something, we have to, well, I'm going to get this um, for the bride and groom. We call them the bride and groom before they're even married. But Jesus called them, didn't call them the bride. 
He calls them the virgins because they're waiting, preparing, getting ready. They have no other lovers. They're in love with nothing else, no one else. And they are, they, they are to, in Jesus' eyes, we are betrothed to him. And in the Father's eyes, we are betrothed. We are the righteous one. When we used to trust in our works, we now trust in what Jesus did. And the Father takes what Jesus did, credits it to our account, and now we're righteous. Right? So these virgins, there's 10 of them, but they're all in God's sight. They're all righteous. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. That it's not about... If you don't have oil, you're not good, or you're not holy, or you're not righteous. No, you don't have oil. You're just not going to have your inheritance. And that's the point of this, and this is how this relates to the word that Margie was releasing here. The difference between the wise and the foolish virgins, one took the pursuit of their inheritance to heart and ordered their lives in such a way that it meant something. They were going to contend. You know, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ that don't care whether they have an inheritance. They're too they're too self-absorbed to even think about the fact that maybe God would be calling on them to pray an hour a week for the next generation. Do you really, or do you just take your kids, well, as long as my kids don't have any major diseases, you know, and, and their bills are paid. Honey, let me tell you something. I got two kids in their 20s, and we don't pay a single bill, and I'm like, hallelujah, my kids are not the ones that are in the basements that everybody's talking about. They are self-sufficient. They live and move and have their being in God and their jobs and do whatever. My kids are in the marketplace. I raised my children, even though I was called into the ministry. My husband is a golf pro. He's not called into the ministry. Well, he's called into the ministry because he's whatever, but, you know, he's got to hang around me all the time. But I raised my children to succeed with excellence in every area of life. And if God calls them to be in the marketplace, they will go in there as kings and priests in the marketplace and plunder the darkness to, to uh, further the kingdom of God. And I know that Margie raised her kids the same way. And if they're, call, if they're calling manifest, you know, Margie used to always say, my, I have one that has had the most warfare. I had warfare in the womb. I had war they're usually the ones that, that have a, a calling. It's not that they're more important or better than the other one. It's, it's something specific that the enemy wants to hinder. And so you need to be, you need to be aware of that. And that's, I believe, what she was saying before. The next thing that happens in the parable, and this is what the Holy Spirit wants to emphasize, that in the middle of the night, there was a midnight cry. And what I want you to see in the parable is that there was a time span, Michael, there was a time span between the cry that came in the middle of the night to awaken the virgins up, and all of them were sleeping. You know how you could tell when you're asleep? When you wake up. You, that's how you can tell what it's like that you've been asleep. See, most of the church, we are asleep. We have been, it's like I say in my book, we, you know, we, we've been just, get, we're walking around in an, in an, in an ambient type state. We, have, we think we are awake, but we are asleep. And even of those of us that move in the gifts and have the Holy Spirit, we could still not be awakened. 
I just wrote this down this morning real quickly as a reminder. When, when I was writing, I, the Lord gave me an acron acronym. What, is it, what does it look like to be awake? What is, it what is the church going to look like to be awake? And the Lord gave me an ac acronym, A-W-A-K-E, A. We are, we are aware, A, we are aware of the cosmic battle between darkness and the light. We don't, we, you know, we don't talk about the devil every time we wake up, but we don't ignore the fact that there is a devil. And that is where the contending comes in. See, people think we shouldn't use the word contending because that means we're fighting for something that Jesus already gave us. That is not the context in which we are using that word. And we need to wake up to that. You know what you're, you know what you're fighting? You're fighting the good fight of faith and partnering with the Holy Ghost, unveiling where the enemy is coming in that pathway of that promise coming to pass. And the contending is staying ready, staying armed, being willing to hear whatever strategies from the Holy Ghost to remove that obstacle that's in the way that the devil put there. Because there's a third heaven, honey, but there's a second heaven that's got a lot of junk going in on it that is trying to hinder your prayer. That's another message. I'm going to stay on my, oh, on my acronym. Okay. A, right, so the next one is W, walking, walking in the transformation power of the word and the spirit. A, activated in the gifts and callings. K, keeping the, keeping the, um, what did I wrote here in tongues here? Oh, keeping the, keep, I need my own gift of interpretation. I am unlike Margarita over here, who is very like melancholy and precise and overprepares. I think in tongues. I express in tongues. Things are I am visionary. I have need people around me picking up things. Okay. Okay, keeping the flame of God. The flame of God burning in their hearts through prayer. This is what an awakened church looks like. E energized by the spirit to live a holy and righteous life that's what an awakened church looks like that was for free everybody say thank you okay so we know that the midnight cry this is important that the midnight cry came before the second cut before the bridegroom comes. And this is in the Hebraic culture. That's what they would do. The, the, grooms, the, the bridegroom and all his men would be having a party. And then all of a sudden they would decide that it was time to go get the bride. She was locked away in her house waiting. Right? And they would come in a big procession, and one, they would begin to cry out, the bridegroom is coming. And then they would know to open the door, that he was coming to take her away. That is just so powerful that Jesus used this, this metaphor of the, of the bridal procession and the bridal feast in, this, in, these, in these parables, because it's how he wants us to process it. This is how we need to be waiting. And it's this watching. But notice that when, that, so I want to establish that there was this time 
that there was this time when they woke up. The second coming wasn't when they woke up. They needed that time. Those that didn't have the oil, they had to get their lamps trimmed when they woke up. They heard the midnight cry, and then when they heard the midnight cry, they got busy making sure their lamps were trimmed, but the ones who had the oil already were able to quickly trim their lamps. They were ready. And while the others, by that time, had to go get the oil, and why didn't they have the oil? Because oil costs something. And they just figured, I'm not going to need the oil. And Margie said something or hit on something while she was speaking uh, that um, was a further emphasis to what the Holy Spirit showed me in this parable this week that I never saw. That they had noticed that they had lamps, but the lamps needed oil. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a word unto my path. But they needed oil for their lamp. The church, R.T. Kendall says it the best. He says that when he's gone throughout all the world preaching, he sees two types of churches. He sees word churches, doctrine churches, churches that are all about the doctrine, 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 doctrine. And then, which is good, we need sound doctrine. They think the church needs sound doctrine, doesn't have enough sound doctrine. Then there's either that type of church or it's the spirit church. All there is is the gifts and all there is is prophecy and all there is is expressive worship and all there is, but there's no stability in the word of God. But in, in this is, this is, oh, fast track it, Holy Ghost, I just got to fast track it here. This concludes my teaching for today. For more information or resources, visit our website at margiefleurant.org. You are listening to It's Time with Margie Florent. Join Margie as she inspires, teaches, and encourages you to develop your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer. I just got to fast track it. So what I want you to hear this morning is that the, there needs to come a midnight cry. And I want to know, is this all the midnight criers in Central Jersey? Is this all there are of the midnight criers? Because before the second coming of Jesus, there are going to be firebrands, there are going to be anointed vessels in every generation that are going to rise up with the midnight call. They are going to be the criers saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up, wake up, get ready, get your lamps trimmed, get ready. There's going to come the most explosive revival. There's going to come the most explosive awakening before Jesus comes back. It's an awakening. And our youth need to be awakened. But there needs to be the word and the spirit. And it's what Margie said. This is where the intercession comes in. This is where the prayer and the worship comes in. When the words that we speak 
over our children are partnered with the water of the Spirit. The word, the lamps had to have oil. You could walk around with your lamp all day long. It's got to be the word and the spirit. This generation needs the word and the spirit of God. They need the word and the spirit. And I believe that that is, Margie, that is the wake up call. That is the wake up. You don't have any oil. And the bridegroom is on the way. And that has to come through us as prayers. And, you know, we talk, about, we talk about prayers like, you know, we're some, ooh, some, like, separate group or something. Where every believer should be a prayer. But, honey, I don't know about you. I don't know where you are in your walk with God right now. I don't know where you are and what you see happening in the earth. But, I, you know, when, 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 when Margie refers to, you know, the me, 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 you know, there we we say we're Holy Ghost churches, but there is no room for the moving of the Spirit. There is no room for the spontaneity of the Holy Ghost. We we become so principle based in our teaching, and you know, like when I was in Texas with Sandy, she said, "Girl." You know why they do all that principle? Because when all you got, when you have no revelation, all you got is principles. I want everybody to come up. Stand up. Margie, do you mind? Everybody stand up. Let's just begin to pray. I just believe, what I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to release that midnight cry. And we need to be open this morning to whatever that cry looks like, how it manifests. Lord, we submit our hearts. You know, even if we, if we want to, we want to move around. If, you know, if you want to come out and, and just, Angel, why don't you come to, the, come to the, the keyboard? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. I had, I had written in here, and I didn't know uh, if I would have time, but in 1947, and I'm sure uh, many of you that are leaders here perhaps have read this, but I just felt like we needed to declare it in, in this room because you're saying, well, what does this have to do with contending? This has everything to do with contending for our children because we need to know what we're going to leave them. What are we going to leave them? A basket full of principles? Are we going to leave them? Is our legacy going to be a living God? Is our legacy going to be a God that, that they, can, they can engage with in power and demonstration of the Spirit? A God that gives them dreams in the night and visions in the day. A God that sends his angels to hearken over the word of God. A God that is intimately and supernaturally involved in their bodies, in their families, in their monies. Or is he just a principal? Yes. So, Father, we just thank you. Father, we, we, we humbly respect, Lord, this threshing floor this morning. We respect this threshing floor, Lord. We respect this house for opening its doors. 
We respect the vision of the prophetess that's birthing the vision. We honor your work in us today, Lord. And we want to be those that are part of this generation that Smith Wigglesworth prophesied of in 1947. And this is what he said. He said the first, he said during the next few decades, this was in 1947, and this word has come to pass. During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it and will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we have seen that come to pass. The second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. Mark, we saw that in the charismatic movement. I am giving you a prophetic timeline if you have ears to hear. He said, and the duration of each of these moves, in the duration of these moves, what we were raised up in, Marcia, what we were raised up in the duration of those moves, people will say, this is the great revival. But the Lord says, no, neither is this the great revival, but both are steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evidenced in the churches something that has not been seen before. A coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and those with an emphasis on the spirit. And when the word and the spirit come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that the nation and indeed the world has ever seen. Church, this is what our children, what is awaiting the next generation. If we will birth it, this is what is awaiting them it will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that has been witnessed within these shores or in any other time the outpouring of the god spirit will flow over the united kingdom to the mainland of europe and from there a missionary move will begin to the ends of the earth that's our inheritance. That's what we're, what we're contending for. Worship you, Lord. Almighty wind of God. This concludes my teaching for today. For more information or resources, visit our website at margieflorent.org.